Turn your Bible, please, to 2 Corinthians chapter 4. 2 Corinthians chapter 4. This is a great people of God, and I just want to tell you what a joy and blessing it is to serve as your pastor, as your minister. We keep in mind that a minister is a servant, and it is my prayer that during the year ahead, God will enable us to work together that I might be your servant for Jesus' sake. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, beginning with verse 1. Therefore, seeing we have this ministry, as we have received mercy, we faint not, but have renounced the hidden things of dishonesty, not walking in craftiness, nor handling the word of God deceitfully, but by manifestation of the truth, commending ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. But if our gospel be hid, it is hid to them that are lost, in whom the God of this age hath blinded the minds of them who believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine unto them. For we preach not ourselves, but Christ Jesus the Lord, and ourselves your servants for Jesus' sake. For God who commanded the light to shine out of darkness hath shined in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. But we have this treasure in earthen vessels that the excellency of the power may be of God and not of us. We are troubled on every side, yet not distressed. We are perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken cast down but not destroyed, always bearing about in the body the dying of the Lord Jesus, that the life also of Jesus might be made manifest in our body. The title of the message today, Deadline, Preparation for a Decade of Destiny. The year 1989 is a year of preparation. As we read in that beautiful poem, written many years ago and set to music. Dear Lord, whether we serve on earth or in heaven, may this be another year for God. Last night we had a marvelous service, and we had a marathon of preaching. Now some of you may be afraid of a marathon of preaching, and it was sort of hard for you to come. Maybe you had to more enjoyment out doing some other things. But we had a master's minority that came and ate supper together and saw some slides together. We saw the 1984 presentation of the Living Christmas Tree. And then here in the auditorium, Brother Buford Page, who has served with Glendale for the last 30 years, a black preacher who is a pastor of three churches, sang, Sweet low, Swing Low, Sweet Chariot, coming for to carry me home, along with many other songs that he is famous for. And he and his wife sang that marvelous duet about who will, we go, who will go for us, and so on. And it was a beautiful presentation. And then Dr. Glad Gordon was here, and with his inimitable uh, humor and his guitar, and remember that he was a disc jockey on a New Orleans radio station for many years. He sang Bones Come a Knittin'. 
from the 37th chapter of Ezekiel. And then he sang Vacation in Heaven. And he talked to us about songs in the night and some of the problems that we might face in 1989, but how Jesus was equal to all of those songs. And then Philip Martin preached. And he preached on the subject, Who is Jesus? He gave us this outline. Jesus is mighty. Jesus is meek. Jesus is merciful. And most of all, Jesus is master. Brother Ben Oates came to base his message on Matthew 14 when he said, God sends the storms. God is in complete control of tomorrow. And he talked about Jesus going out in the storm. He told his disciples to go straight across, not to skim and go around the coastland. In other words, he sent his disciples through the storm so he could demonstrate that Jesus is equal to every storm of life. Brother Johnny Deacons gave us some highlights of 1988. Beautiful, as only Brother Johnny can do it in his sketchbook, and then presented a beautiful drawing. Brother David Gifford laid on our hearts the last message he would give if he only had five minutes to give it. A message about heaven, hell, and the Lord Jesus. Brother Kevin Ham was here last night. He's again here today. And he talked to us about concern for the lost. It was based on Mark chapter 2. He talked about a cooperative concern, a creative concern, a confident concern, a courageous concern, a costly concern, and how important it was for us in 1989 to launch out into the deep of soul winning. Brother Buster Jordan based his message on Philippians chapter 3 and reminded us there would be suffering. There would be suffering as we go along in the will of God. And then Robert Coates sang the anchor, I've anchored my soul and when he finished he said I've got something on my heart. And he preached to us about 10 minutes from the overflow of his heart on the tragedy of sin and how sin takes its toll in people's lives. Well, as we think of entering this year, I thought of what John Esau said when he said there were seven revolutions that the youth of our people face today, the young people of our land face today. The pressures upon youth to succeed so that parents can brag on them. Number two, the ambiguity of adult behavior. Dad cheats on his, on his taxes. The preacher preaches against drinking, but mom and dad keep it hidden and keep on going at it. I was in a revival meeting in Horse Cave recently. And a young man went home and asked his father after a service one night, I did not know that premarital sex was wrong. You've never told me that. Number three, legalistic morality. Where we 
write a prescription for morals and make it so legalistic that we leave the reasons why we do these things out of the text. Number four, a sexual revolution. Number five, a drive for education. Number six, the difference between the dogma and practice of Christianity. Here's what Christianity teaches, and here's how we practice it. And number seven, adults and young people do not know how to communicate with each other. Now, John Esau said these are the revolutions that young people are facing as we enter 1989. RCA's chief executive officer predicted these things for the future. The speed of travel will keep on increasing. We will be traveling from New York to Tokyo in two hours in just a few years. Practical use will soon be made of our knowledge of the moon and the other planets. And we will probably land on Jupiter or Mars in the 1990s. Nuclear fuel will be used throughout the world. The population will keep on increasing. Today we have five billions of people. In the 1990s, it could be eight billions. And in the years, in the early 2000 years, there could be 10 billions of people on the earth. People will be completely cataloged by computers so that a computer button can be pushed and everything about your life can be read on a screen. The armament race will continue. Now those are just some of the things that we may face in the 1990s. Space labs, conquering of the moon, Mars, Jupiter, the Earth population increasing, all of these things. Well, as we think of this, I want us to think of 1989 as a year of preparation for the 90s. We've come through the serious 60s, the sinister 70s, the exciting 80s. We're heading for the novelties of the 90s. This year is a preparation year. Now, God's people handle things differently from the way the world's people handle it. A lot of folks last night went out and made merry by getting drunk. I was interested that our commission was sort of pushed into keeping the bars open one hour later last night so that those merrymakers who want to drink until 12 o'clock could have till one to get their Cokes down and their orange juice down before they could head for Shawnee's to get breakfast. I went to Shawnee's one New Year's Eve night or New Year's morning several years ago and everybody was so drunk I got in disgust and left. Lots of people observe in that way. But I want to suggest to you that God's people have a different perspective. And as we use 1989 as a preparation year for the novel 90s, 
Let's make some resolutions today. Now, I have some to suggest and offer to you. Number one, that we arrange our schedules around the Lord's church. We have services on Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, revival meetings, watch night services and other things. Let's be there. Or else let's get up in a business meeting and say, I make a motion that we not have these things so I can do something else. But let's arrange our schedules around the Lord's church. And Sunday by Sunday by Sunday by Sunday, let's go to God's house. This is the first day of 1989. Wouldn't it be marvelous if we came to the first year of 1990 and looked back and said, I did not miss one single Sunday in 1989. Now you may not be in Bowling Green. You may be visiting somewhere on a vacation or something. But make a resolution. I'm not going to forsake the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is. According to Hebrews chapter 10, 25. God will bless us as we do that. Number two. I would like to encourage us to make a resolution that we're going to read the Bible through in 1989. There are 66 books. Read that Bible through chapter by chapter. The little pamphlet we gave out a little while ago takes us through the Bible in one year by reading three chapters a day. And God will bless us as we do it. And again, that we have a quiet time. That every one of us have a quiet time. That moms and dads encourage your children to have a quiet time. Depending on the, the age, that quiet time may be a little bit longer or shorter. Part of that quiet time could be a family altar. And you know some people are afraid of family altars because they think, well, this means we have to get together and we have to sit here an hour and wade through some long scripture verses while the kids turmoil and trouble and cry and all that kind of thing. No, that isn't what it means at all. A family altar is where a family gets together and prays and reads a portion of the Bible. Depending on the age of your children, that family altar could last five minutes. It could last three minutes. It could last ten minutes. It could last a half an hour, whatever. Susanna had 19 children. She had a private time with every one of them for an hour every week. She found the time to take her children Sunday to church and Wednesday to church. She also, and her husband, and Susanna was an unusual person. We have to acknowledge that. She was probably sort of a domineering woman. We do not know very much about John Wesley's daddy. But Susanna was a marvelous, unusual person. And she encouraged her husband, and they had a family altar in their home. It did not last very long. Can you imagine 19 children and mom and dad getting together for a family altar with all those age ranges, ranges from at least, I don't know how close together the children came, but at least it would have to be a range an age range of 19 years or 20 or something. But she'd get them together and they'd read a little bit of the Bible and pray. And John Wesley later said, it was at my mother's knee 
I learned how to be quiet before God. A quiet time with the Lord. I would encourage every family, every individual, every child. Some of our boys and girls here today may not have come from Christian homes. Your mom and dad may not cooperate, but you personally can have a quiet time before God. Virginia, I want you to listen to me, honey. I love you, but don't do that. She's, she's grown so much. I'm so proud of you. You just see if you can tell what color my eyes are this morning. Just watch, all right? Now, every one of you, every one of you can grow in the Lord by a quiet time with God. In this quiet time, we need a prayer of praise. Just praise God. Can't think of anything else, just singing the doxology. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. A prayer of confession, telling God all about your sins and your needs. Now, frankly, I think that needs to be in private. I'm not sure that a husband needs to confess all of his sins before his wife, nor a wife before her husband, nor children before their parents. There are some things we need to confess, but we need to go directly to God. Have a quiet time with God individually. A prayer of contrition. In which we just fall before God and say, Lord, I'm nothing and you're everything. I have a broken heart over the world that we live in. Where people curse every other breath. Where people talk vulgar and dirty I am unkempt. I am unclean. I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. Lord, that bothers me. A prayer of intercession. God said, Solomon, you tell the people, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven, and I will forgive their sin and will heal their land. There is a place where thou canst touch the eyes of blinded men to instant perfect sight. There is a place where thou canst say, Arise to dying captives bound in chains of night. There is a place where thou canst reach the store of hoarded gold and free it for the Lord. There is a place upon some distant shore where thou canst send the worker or the word. There is a place where heaven's resistless power, responsive, moves to thine insistent plea. There is a place, a silent trusting hour, where God himself descends and fights for thee. Where is this place? Dost thou ask where? O soul, it is the secret place of prayer. You think of the blessings you had in 1988. Sometimes we think of the tough times. Think of the blessings. How do you know but what many of those blessings came to you because somebody prayed for you? Last Sunday, Miss Retha had to be gone. And I, I appreciate from time to time when our staff members need to go and be with their families. It was Christmas Sunday. I wrote a little note and I said, I, I hope that we have somebody to play the organ. 
And I prayed that God would take care of this. Mac Fogel had the weekend off, and he was here and played the organ. Now, I want to tell you, you may believe it was just chance, but I believe God answered prayer. How do we know how many of the blessings that come our way come because of prayer? Prayer of intercession. I want to ask you to pray in 1989 that some men and women who are hard nuts to crack would get saved. Would you make a list of some of the people that you prayed for? And let's just earnestly contend with God and say, God, I'm not going to leave. Get let loose of the horns of the altar until these get saved. And your intercessory prayer, God can use to bring them to Jesus. And I want to be the first to tell you, I do not understand that. I do not understand. Some have described it as spiritual mental telepathy where you pray and God brings all the force of the energy of your prayer to bear upon that man's mind. That may be. There's so much about prayer we don't understand. I know that prayer is creative energy and that's the reason it's hard to pray. It's hard work. You think you've got a big job lifting cranes and lifting big steel, lifting big boxes, you who work for UPS and all those other things. You try praying. That's the reason there's so little of it. Praying is hard work. Jesus prayed, and he sweat, as it were, great drops of blood. But look what the result was. The salvation of millions and millions of people. Because Calvary was settled at Gethsemane. I cannot overestimate the value of your prayer in 1989. And then another resolution, give to God what is His, His talents and His tithes, His time, all on the altar, Lord Jesus. Both giving God talents and time and tithes, a matter of faith. You can scarcely do it without faith. I've asked people to sing solos and they say, well, I'm scared to death, I couldn't do it. Don't ask me to do it. You've got a beautiful voice. But they get the nervous heebie-jeebies because they try to do it in their own energy. When God called me to preach, I had a little argument with God, and I'm ashamed to tell you about it. I said, Lord, I could never do it. I could never stand up in front of people and talk. That's embarrassing. I'm bashful. I'm shy. I could not do it. And the night I walked down the aisle and yielded my life to the will of God, a man named Ott Allen, who had surrendered to preach sometime before that, came through the line where we were standing and well, people were coming by to encourage us. And Ott Allen said, Richard, I have a little church up near Frankfurt. Would you come up there and preach for me next Sunday? Oh, I said, I said, Ott, I couldn't do that. And he went on through the line. I guess he took me seriously. And immediately, God just plagued my heart. I got out of the line and went along with God. And God said, what did you just tell me you do? You said, you do anything. 
And now the opportunity, you've turned it down. I went out and hunted up Aunt Alan and I said, Aunt, I'm scared to death. But if you still want me to come up here and preach, I'll try. I've been trying to go through doors that were open all the years. And I want to tell you, if you're going to offer God your time and your talents and your tithes, it takes faith. You cannot do it in your own steam or your own strength. You have to have God's faith. Paul said, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. And I would like to challenge us to never say no when God says go. When God gives this church the glorious opportunity to give great amounts of money to the work of God, instead of standing back and say, well, Lord, we're poor and we are a little congregation and we can't do it. Let's say, God, we're going to arise to the occasion and we're going to sacrifice and we're going to put it on the altar and we're going to do what God wants us to do with time, with talents, with tithes. Somebody asks you to teach a class or to sing a solo or to get in the choir or to do something for the glory of God or to go to the jail and visit or go to the nursing home or go visiting soul winning. Instead of saying, well, I have never done that. And I'm afraid that I wouldn't know how to do it. And I'm afraid I'm just nervous and I'm afraid everybody would watch me and I'm afraid I'd make a mistake. Instead of that, say, oh God, I'll never say no when you say go. I'll do it for thy glory. And God will bless. That's 1989. Two more things and I'll be through. Very, very briefly. Those are resolutions. I want to encourage us to make 1989 a year of repentance. Repentance. Repentance is a doctrine for God's people as well as lost people. And we need to repent of our sins. We need to be great repenters. We need to know how to say, God, I goofed up. I made a mistake. I sinned. And I'm sorry. And I want to get back in the game and get going for God. We serve a God of a second chance. I said a while ago that I respect and love and honor those who are able to stay together through the years. God bless you. Some in our congregation have made shipwreck and failures from time to time of their homes. What a tragedy. But I want to tell you, God is a God of a second chance. And you do not have to look back and say, oh, I messed up. God can enable you to start where you are and get going again for God if you'll repent of your sins and turn to Him and let Him have His way with you. And last of all, I pray this will be a year of regeneration. The regeneration of those who are without God. This will be a year of personal soul winning. I'm going to talk more about that next Sunday. Next Sunday is Soul Winning Commitment Day. I'd like to ask you to pray for a week. Lord, what will you have me to do about this matter of winning souls to Christ in 1989? But let's pray 
that God will use this as a year of regeneration, getting people born again, getting their hearts right with God, and some of them need to, some of that needs to begin in the house of God. I'm convinced that we have either a large group of unsaved people or we have a large group of backsliders. And only God knows which is which. And just because you walked down the aisle and gave your hand to the preacher, signed a card, or knelt and prayed, and got baptized does not mean you're saved. You're saved because the Holy Spirit enters your life and He begins to change you. Has that happened inside? That doesn't mean you're perfect. That doesn't mean you never make another mistake. But it means that when those mistakes come and that imperfection comes and that sin comes, God gives you a divine discontent. So it leads you back to repentance and asking God to help you and cleanse you and forgive you. And I'm praying that this will be a year of regeneration. There may be someone in this room today who has never been regenerated, never been born again. You've never been saved. God wants to do that in your life today. But you hold the key. Now when you get regenerated, born again, He begins to change you. And whereas you were scared to death of water, you thought, well, I could never be baptized. God whispers in your heart, remember Calvary. Remember that the Lord went up to that old rugged cross. And right in front of a whole world, He died naked for you. Do you mean to tell me that you couldn't enter the baptismal waters for Him? See, when you're regenerated, when it starts inside your soul, and God moves inside and He changes you, then there's an outward change. Not perfection till we get to see Him, but a change of heart. So that you, you once hated the things of God, now you love them. You once were bored by church, now you love it. And kids, let me speak to your soul a minute. Listen, when I got saved, I asked God to help me never go to sleep in church again. I have to admit I've come near it a few times. But I don't think I've done it. I asked God to not let me write notes. Now, my mother never would let me write notes when I was growing up. She wouldn't let me draw things and stuff like that. I've seen kids sit next to their parents, and their parents bring all kinds of paraphernalia out, and they draw and write and color and all that. My mom never would let me do that. If I tried, she'd take me out and spank me and bring me back. I had to just sit there. And I learned to worship with the people of God. I want to tell you, we have a children's service because we have a bus ministry. And we do not, and, and many kids come whose parents do not come. But my first suggestion is that everybody who has little children ought to have them sitting with you in church. And let them learn to work and serve in the church. I think that's what they do at First Baptist Church in Dallas, isn't it? You don't have children's church, do you? Highland Park Baptist Church in Chattanooga never had a children's church. Had the children right in there. Now they had enough bus pastors and so on to help take care of them. But I want to tell you, kids, you need to learn to worship. Be in God's house and listen like you are this morning. I'm so proud of you. I love you. I'm proud of you. I saw a group of kids sitting on the front row a couple of Wednesday nights ago. And I was so proud of the way they behaved and listened. And I remarked about it. Some of you who were here may remember that. 
And I didn't learn until last night or yesterday that Johnny Deacons came into the service before I got there and he offered the one that was the quietest a quarter after church. And those kids just sat there with their eyes glued on me and I thought, well, that's wonderful, that's marvelous until I got my balloon busted yesterday when Johnny confessed that skullduggery. But I want to tell you, kids, we need to sit up and listen in 1989 because God may want to speak to one of you. He may want to call you into His service. If you're ready, if you're listening, you will hear Him. Let's bow together in prayer. Our Father, we thank You for the great number of people who have come to God's house today. We pray Thou wilt help us to put into effect some of those truths that You laid on our heart to share with the people. In Jesus' name, amen. Will you stand, please? Now, this is one of those days when I needed about two hours to preach. I didn't get it. I'll get it tonight, maybe. I wanted to encourage you to come. But now, listen. That passage we read said, If our gospel be hid, it is hid. If our gospel be hid, it is hid to them that are lost, in whom the God of this age hath blinded the eyes of them that believe not. If you're here today and you've never been saved, you've been blinded. The God of this age has blinded your eyes. Will you let the Holy Spirit lift the barnacles so you can really see? That scripture went on to say we are troubled on every side and on and on. But we don't have to be defeated. We don't have to be cast down because the Holy Spirit abides in our hearts. And He'll give you victory in 1989. You do not have to go by yourself. While we sing this invitation, 249, just as I am without one plea, will not be a long invitation, but I'd like to encourage somebody here to step out and say, I want to come to Christ today. I want to start life sort of in this new spiritual way today. I want to obey Christ. I've been saved and I need to be baptized. And as soon as they remove that Christmas tree, I want to get baptized. I want to move my letter to this church and start serving God here. Or I've gotten a little bit cold. I go through the motions of church. But frankly, my heart isn't in it. I'm cold. Why don't you confess that to God? Tell Him about it. Don't hide behind some mask out here. Tell him. And walk down this aisle today and say, I'm going to begin 1989 with a new love for Christ. And if I don't have it, I'm going to ask him for it. I want to offer my time and tithes and talents and energy and creativity to God. Friend, if you've never been saved, I want to encourage you to come to Christ today just like you are. While we begin to sing, who will come first for the King? Will you come?